Podcastle, episode 260, for May 14th, 2013. Fine Flying Things, by Adele Gardner. Rated G. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Fine Flying Things by Adele Gardner. I predict that today's story will make some of you cry, just warning you in advance, not because anything really terrible happens, but because it's a very poignant little tale and it really tugs at the old heartstrings, especially if you're a cat person. Which, actually, I am not. It's not that I hate cats or even mildly dislike them. I have two of them, and I feed them, and they deign to notice my existence every now and again, so I'd say that relationship is about as stable as a cat-human relationship gets. But I'm sorry, kitties, I do prefer dogs. And apparently I'm not alone. According to a poll conducted by the Associated Press, while 74% of their test sample likes dogs a lot, only 41% likes cats a lot. Now, I'm sure you all know the common wisdom about what cat people are like versus what dog people are like. Dog people are believed to be more social and interactive, while cat people are more introverted, less sociable, and more self-contained. And studies generally tend to bear these stereotypes out, with dog people being like 15% more extroverted and cat people being 12% more neurotic. Now, an interesting finding in the study I read, which was in Psychology Today's canine corner, which does make me question its strict adherence to methodological rigor, especially since canine and corner were both spelled with K's, was that cat people were 11% more open than dog people. Now, the openness trait involves a general appreciation for art, emotion, adventure, unusual ideas, imagination, curiosity, and a variety of experience. People high on openness are more likely to hold unconventional beliefs, while people with low scores on openness, dog people, tend to have more conventional, traditional interests. Which is probably why so many of my friends who write science fiction and fantasy are self-proclaimed cat people. Anyway, I'd love to hear your responses to today's story, whether it brought a wistful tear to your eye, and whether you're a cat person or a dog person, over on the Podcastle forum. I've been hanging out there a lot more lately since Dave publicly mocked me for having such a pathetically low post number. I'm trying to shed the humiliating X-turn label like a virgin on prom night, so let's rap, people. The author of today's story, Adele Gardner, who you might know by her previous byline, Lynn C.A. Gardner, is an active member of SIFWA with stories published in Daily Science Fiction, the Green Knight Press anthologies Legends of the Pendragon and The Doom of Camelot, Penumbra, Challenging Destiny, and Scheherazade's Facade. She's also had articles and poetry published in Strange Horizons, Mythic Delirium, and the Magazine of Speculative Poetry, some of which have gone on to earn honorable mentions from the year's best fantasy and horror. She's a graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop and was editor of the Science Fiction Poetry Association's 2012 Riesling Anthology. You can find out more at her website www.gardnercastle.com The story is read by Ellie Hirschman, a former aspiring voice actor who says he doodles constantly but doesn't draw enough, 
and that he lives in the Eastern Hemisphere against his will and his better judgment. He has worked with Darker Projects and Dream Realm Productions, and is also involved in Cool Fool Productions, turning bad audio scripts into intentionally bad comedy gold. He invites you to look them up on Facebook. And I invite you to enjoy the story. Fine Flying Things by Adele Gardner Frankie watched open-mouthed as the cats soared up into the sky. All he could think of was Dolly's photograph, that crazy one where the cat flew across a stream of water while Dolly perched on a chair. He ran outside. In that little space of time, yet more cats had lifted off from Earth. They floated like furry balloons, orange and gray and tiger-striped. Some looked scared, their claws extended to full panic, like a kitten caught in a tree. But there was nothing to grasp in the sky. The clouds didn't seem to slow them down. Others looked mildly interested, their whiskers drooping in curious contentment. Still others seemed entranced with possibilities, stretching their claws to snag unwary birds as they soared by. Frankie gaped at the spectacle of cats dotting the sky like a flock of migrating birds. As the felines swarmed through the air, he glimpsed a familiar gray leg. By instinct, he reached up to grab the striped appendage, just as he might have done to spare the china. The skinny leg jerked taut, and he found himself looking up into the startled blue eyes of his Maurice. Maurice gazed back down at him with a plaintive mew. He looked startled and forlorn, as he had as a kitten when Frankie first caught him, a frightened, feral kitten crouched in the backyard. Maurice's call set off a series of answering mews like a flock of birds calling raucously across the sky. Maurice! What are you doing up there? Frankie felt bewildered and even a little shocked. He did not like to admit this to his cat, of course. He did not want Maurice to think he was passing judgment on his strange new avian affinity. Then Frankie felt a sudden shift inside. He was growing lighter. It was that odd sensation of weightlessness in his middle that he got in a fast elevator. He wasn't sure his shoes left the ground, though he thought his feet rose inside them. It shocked him badly. He almost let go. As the gray-striped fur began to slide through his fingers, Frankie gave a little yelp and clamped down hard. Maurice mewed in pain or fear, and the sound bounced among the other cats, odd-shaped kites rising distant in the dusk. Frankie dragged Maurice back down into his arms. What's gotten into you? Maurice looked up at him with that intense, lost look he'd had as a kitten. Mournful. A kind of helpless confusion. Frankie had sometimes wondered if Maurice missed living outside, or remembered his stray mother. But Maurice was devoted to Frankie, and he rarely ventured out except into the garden, where Frankie knew he could trust him not to run away. Among the roses and azaleas, the nasturtiums and morning glories, Maurice would crouch under the garden bench and peer out at the butterflies and birds. If they got too close, he would flatten himself to the ground. Now Maurice huddled in Frankie's arms, an odd and ruffled sight, as even his fur seemed to want to fly away. Maurice gazed up at the man who had become his mother with a plaintive look of indignation. Frankie thought he knew what Maurice meant. Things weren't supposed to be this way. "'What's going on, buddy?' Frankie asked him, gazing around with trepidation as his next-door neighbor's fat orange tabby drifted up over the rose bushes. He hovered there for a moment with a look of comical surprise. 
As a sparrow darted past, that look changed to one of greedy joy, and the fat orange tom floated industriously away. Maurice yowled a sad farewell. Let's go inside, Frankie said hastily. He'd seen enough. It looked like the end of the world, with cats for clouds, and he didn't want Maurice getting any ideas. Maurice growled as Frankie closed the door. He was probably out of sorts with all the strangeness. With the glass safely closed and his now light cat clutched tight in his arms, Frankie stared out at the expanse of sky above the suburban roofs and fenced-in yards. Cats danced above the spikes of the wooden fences in an entirely different way. "'What's the world coming to?' Frankie mumbled. He felt strangely dislocated, as if his heart was lifting off along with those strange balloons, light with wonder and fear." Maurice struggled in his arms, writhing and twisting like an eel, with an energy he'd seldom shown since he'd become tame. Frankie released him. Maurice went drifting straight for the ceiling, a look of purpose on his face, whiskers alert. Frankie devised a series of perches, setting bowls of food and water on top of counters and refrigerator. But now that he could fly, would Maurice still want to eat the same heavy food? Perhaps he'd prefer birdseed instead but the thought of running out to purchase it under that cat-dark sky filled Frankie with trepidation. Maurice, with a sleek running motion, flew to the large glass doors. He pressed close and began chirping with the same agitation he'd once shown for birds. Frankie stood beside Maurice, staring out the window. More and more cats were rising from the fields, from the fences. They bumped into one another gently and drifted off onto different trajectories. Maurice mewed softly, a cat's whisper, but it sounded so forlorn, as if he knew something Frankie did not, as if he was watching all his friends fly off to a different destiny, leaving him behind. Together they watched the cats drift off into the dusk. They were getting higher and higher. Some of the first cats were only specks against the sunset. The next morning Frankie woke to a world that felt oddly quiet. There was a strange charge in the air, as if static clung to everything. He felt so certain that he'd receive a jolt that he jumped when he touched the doorknob, though it was cool and inert in his hand. He walked around the house on tiptoe. What might be next? Would all the kitchen implements be floating about near the ceiling in a frenzy of clashing knives? Would the house tear itself free of its foundations? But there was only Maurice, poised in an arch on the counter, his toes barely touching the ground. He craned his neck into one of the bowls, moving slowly and carefully, as if any sudden movement might send him soaring into the air. Thoughtfully, Frankie reached under the counter and brought out the leash. Having lost a cat in the road when he was young, Frankie had vowed never to let another loose anywhere near traffic. He didn't want to risk the chance that Maurice might run away. The world was too dangerous. Frankie belted on the halter. Maurice had never seemed to mind. He usually walked ahead, pausing to chew grass or sniff hedges, sometimes leaving his mark, though he'd been neutered long ago. Frankie sometimes wondered if it was cruel to keep Maurice confined, but Maurice had always seemed happy enough, purring and rubbing against Frankie enthusiastically whenever he came home. Frankie carried Maurice cautiously outside and locked the door. He stood on the stoop, looking up and down the tree-lined street. Everything seemed quiet. He didn't see any of the usual cats slinking across the sidewalks or running up and down the hedgerows. Gingerly, he set Maurice down and descended the stairs. 
Soon, Maurice floated along behind him, bobbing at the end of his tether. Frankie whistled and tried to look nonchalant, but Maurice made no secret of his interest. Eyes wide, whiskers flicking, Maurice uttered occasional mews and high-pitched chirps as they passed brick steps and wrought iron fences, and the trees that shaded the walk from the road. Had all the cats flown away? As they rounded the block, they finally spotted a Persian in a window. The white cat pressed its flat face to the glass and howled, scratching the glass, hauling himself up the window by the narrow wooden crossbars. Frankie walked on hurriedly, but his arm was lifting now, and it wasn't his own light spirits. His hand waved high over his head, taut as the line he'd wrapped around his wrist. He could feel his feet lifting slightly from the ground. He looked up in alarm. Maurice was so high that there was slack in the harness beneath him, like the apex of a kite string. The halter cut into his fur as he swum close to the branches of the nearest tree. In his eagerness, Maurice uttered a low growl that reminded Frankie of a string of curses. Frankie retreated to the sidewalk, calling Maurice as he tugged on the leash, but Maurice was having one of his stubborn moments. He had grabbed a lower branch and clung tight. Frankie stopped in the middle of the sidewalk. He looked around quickly. No one was in sight, but he still felt like a fool. Come down, Maurice, come out of there, he coaxed. Don't you want to go home and get your treat? The chubby gray tabby protested with a caterwaul. Frankie stared up at him distressed and followed the taut line of Maurice up to another pair of eyes. The leaves rustled slightly. The eyes moved among green shadows. The shadowy body seemed to move in an odd way for a cat, clinging upside down like a possum. For a moment, confronted by an inverted grin and ears like jowls, Frankie wondered if it was an oversized bat. Then he recognized the sphinx from down the street. Standing in the tree, not clinging by its claws, standing upside down, its feet pointed at the sky, the tree branches the only thing that stood between him and a long tumbling fall. Frankie gaped. Maurice tugged at the lead and Frankie stumbled forward without resistance. Maurice burbled at the sphinx. The sphinx answered in kind with one long, crooning meow. Maurice looked back at Frankie, a plea in those blue eyes. Frankie felt decidedly odd under that gaze. He walked closer to the tree, peering upward. Maurice hovered, waiting, watching as his human friend drew close. One quiet meow. The kind Maurice uttered each night before going to sleep in the crook of Frankie's knees. The little chirp that had been a coda to each day, a bubble filled with the little joy of hearing his mother say, I love you, before he went to sleep. Good night. There was no one else to say these words to Frankie now. Carefully, Frankie drew on the lead until Maurice hovered close, all four paws outspread as if to guide him in the air. Maurice was purring, still looking at him with those wide, eloquent eyes. Frankie held him close, despite the lightness that threatened to burst free from his chest, kissed the furry head and sighed, then unfastened the harness and stood back to let him go. Goodbye, he whispered. Good boy. Good Maurice. Goodbye. I love you. And Maurice, still purring, with that wide, loving gaze, paused to utter his little chirp before drifting high into the leaves. Frankie felt so odd, as though all the ties that tethered him to earth were snapping. Frankie wandered from room to room. He'd always had so many hobbies it was hard to find time for them all. 
but now he could not think of a single thing he'd like to do. He picked up a book, then cast it aside. He sorted through his watercolors, then flipped through his address book past theaters and restaurants. All the things he'd like to do alone. His only surviving relative was his sister, but it had been almost 50 years since she'd married overseas, and they had so little to say to one another that it was more depressing to call than to sit alone and to rummage through his memories. He sat in the living room, watching the cloudy sky. Were those geese against the purple clouds? Only last evening the cats had risen like bubbles through champagne. He wondered where Maurice was now. Maybe Maurice would get hungry, come back and say hello. Frankie filled several bowls with Maurice's favorite foods and set them on the windowsills, then pulled up the glass and screens. As night descended, the old fear crept in again. He couldn't leave the windows open to the dark. He closed the windows and blinds on the first floor slowly, trying to argue against his fear. As he took the food away, he wondered if it was something the cats had eaten. He nibbled meditatively, looking out at the darkened streets where the lamps glowed in their cast-iron prisons. He watched the trees rustling in the night breeze, casting shifting shadows. He thought about his toes. Were they tingling? Didn't they feel the slightest bit lighter than air? He chewed and crunched, reached in for another mouthful, and found only crumbs. He looked at his hand in the bowl and sighed. He was only a man after all. Frankie climbed up to bed, closing the other windows, ending at last in his room. He paused before the open window, where the streetlight shone in strongly, giving a milky cast to the gloom. Perhaps Maurice would come back. They had slept together for over ten years now. Cats always had to come back on their own time. He left the window open. He lay in bed, missing Maurice, trying to imagine that he felt his old friend's warmth behind his knees. His stomach hurt, but he didn't think it was the cat food. He fell asleep at last. A sound. Branches against brick. Someone calling his name. He woke up all at once. A cat's yowl beyond the window. There was no question of dreams. He knew that cry too well. He rushed to the window and thrust his head out into the chill night air. Maurice, he called, anxiety making it echo. An answering mew close in the darkness. He followed the sound. A pair of blue eyes glinted like tiny mirrors in the tree. The tree shook again. The rustling grew frantic for a moment, as though someone were trying desperately to hold on. That mew, again, despairing now. For a moment, Frankie closed his eyes. He knew this was no dream, but he prayed he'd have the courage to act as though it were. Maurice had come to him. Now it was up to him to bridge the gap. Holding tight to the windowsill, he stretched out, Reaching for the nearest leaf, he pulled it in patiently until he felt the knob of the twig against the limb. Maurice called to him softly. Encouragement now. After ten years, he could recognize the difference. He knew that he could trust Maurice, knew it by the loving way Maurice would settle in each night, by the way Maurice always sensed his mood and came to cuddle and cheer him when he was depressed. Frankie drew a shuddering breath and sat on the edge of the open window. Then, holding the branch tightly in both hands, Frankie slid outside. For a moment it seemed the stars streaked past him, the street lamps and their myriad reflections. He could not tell up from down. Was he falling as the stars streaked past and the dark leapt up to cradle him? Then he felt a sharp prick on his shoulders, and he knew he was flying. 
He felt the cat's soft warmth along his neck, where Maurice loved to perch along his shoulders. His pajama shirt drew tight under his arms. He lifted towards a glow as bright as the moon, and then it was below him, just one more lamp in the darkness. The night air brushed his cheeks like feathers, and he lifted his head to see the moon. The clouds, blue-gray and thick layers, looked solid enough to stand upon. Below, the trees looked like garden greens, and the houses small as a model village. The church spire streaked silver by the moon. The roads looked like strange markings in the dirt, and the fences could not be seen at all. Maurice, he murmured, as the cat purred warm against his neck. Sometimes a striped gray tail would lash under his nose to make him sneeze. Thank you for coming back for me. The cat purred louder as they soared past the city limits and out over the countryside. Frankie's checked pajamas flapped in the breeze. He lost a button to the continued strain on the shirt. He thought he should be alarmed, as the round whiteness tumbled in a gleaming spiral through the darkness. But he could not summon anything but joy. At last they ducked under a passing cloud and back toward Earth. Frankie felt his heart falter at the loss of altitude, but it was trees and hills and a country lane rushing up fast, not the gray city streets where cats were never safe. Not yet. Don't leave me yet, he breathed, as they rushed down towards a pile of hay past the huddle of fleecy backs within a pen. Frankie spread his arms like wings, hoping to stay aloft. The wind rushed up to meet them, a soft barrier. Maurice's purring grew louder like a plane. With the earth skimming pebbly beneath his bare feet, Frankie reached back timidly to stroke Maurice's head, a warm, rough tongue, a mew. A mud puddle. Frankie had forgotten to tuck his legs up under him. His big toe skimmed dark water, and he tumbled in. He cried out as his shoulders ripped free. He rolled with the blow, but it was soft after all. Mud and a brackish pond. He struggled, floated when his feet sank in the mud. It was not so different from flying. He flipped on his back in time to see a cat's silhouette crossing the moon. That soft call might be one of a number of night birds, but he knew that little voice. Farewell. Frankie picked himself up, stroked through the water, climbed up through the softness of the mud, clutching at the stiffness of cattails. He stood alone at the end of a country road, beyond the broken fence, just under the shadow of the dark mass of trees. The farmyard was dark and silent, though the insects were loud here in the night. Overhead, a phalanx of dark shapes passed, cats or silent birds he couldn't tell. Muddy, unshod, he walked back towards the city, dazed by the beauty of the open night. So quiet, so peaceful, so close to home. Though his feet grew tired, his heart was light. A young man driving home from the night shift took pity and dropped him right at his townhouse door. It seemed, for this night at least, that there was nothing to fear. The next morning, Frankie opened all the windows and left them that way, even when he took his walk. He gazed at the fences and railings and garden plots and thought cheerfully of the way it had all looked from the air. He smiled and said hello to neighbors whose names he'd learned from years of overhearing. He tipped his hat to their sunny smiles, thinking of Maurice. There were no cats visible in the neighborhood now, but he knew they were hidden in the clouds, perching unseen in the trees, free as birds. Sometimes gray fur drifted down to catch in his black hat, or lie still among his silver hair. Frankie ate cat food every morning to give him courage. Each day he felt his feet lift further from the ground.
And welcome back. Anyone hungry for a can of cat food? Anyone? No? How about feedback? This week is from Matt Wallace's Sunday, read by Dave Robison. This was the first of our guest editor stories. This one about a teddy bear who protects children from nightmares was chosen by our pal from Pseudopod and Escape Pod, Mr. Alistair Stewart. Generally speaking, this one stole quite a few of your hearts in the best possible way. Ratzel said, One of the best Podcastle stories I've heard in the last year, and that is a pretty high bar. This story was a tremendous epic tale that pushed so many of my emotional buttons, but never in a sentimental cheap trick way. It earned the right to go where it wanted to. Here is a hero and story with real heart. Listening to the final few minutes driving home, I had tears rolling down my cheeks. Those bittersweet tears of sadness and vicarious pride, if you will, knowing that Sunday had done his duty and done it with a smile on his face. The reading was exquisite, but then Dave is an extraordinary narrator with a voice like silk sliding over a gravel path. Finally, Alistair's outro. What an inspiration. This is the completion of the triple threat. Story, narration, and hosting. Needless to say, I bought a copy of the story from my partner's Kindle immediately. He wasn't the only one to get all nostalgic about it. Caro Cogitatus said, I was never really a teddy bear aficionado, but I suspect that my blankie, which I kept in a tattered corner for years after I was too old for such silliness, was not mangled and threadbare from my dragging it across the floor everywhere I went, but because it was smothering dragons while I slept. <laughs> Thank you, Blanky. Rest easy. Your task is complete. <laughs> and Chemistry Guy said, Pardon the overused meme, but I just couldn't shake the idea that Chuck Norris would be proud to hug this teddy bear. Well, there's more where all that came from. Much more. So fly on over to forum.escapeartist.net to read it all and more. Say hi. Bring some cat food. Help Hobson up that post count. And let us know what you thought of this week's story. If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Really, friends, we need some cash to keep ourselves going here. We take pride in paying our authors, and we want to keep on flying for many, many years to come. So... Help us out if you can. If you can't, tell all your friends about us. Better yet, play some of our stories for them. Thank you. Well, that's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, Associate Editor Ann Leckie, Guest Host M.K. Hobson, Sound Producer Peter Wood, and your editors, Anna Schwind and myself, Dave Thompson, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with a short story by Julia Rios featuring a certain gingerbread house surviving heroine like you've never seen her before. Which, you know, means she won't be dressed up in skin-tight black leather or hunting witches because you have seen that before. Probably on DVD. That's why you watch DVDs to put yourself to sleep, kids. Well, we'll see you next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. 
And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote is from Charles Dickens, who said, What greater gift than the love of a cat? Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.